Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. You have your Bibles, Psalm chapter 131, Psalm 131. And while you're turning there, let me ask you to think about this. Uh, when you're going through hard times, so maybe think about maybe two different scenarios. Think back to the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life, maybe the hardest season you've ever been through. Or if you're in the middle of something hard right now, just think about that hard season that you're in. What are the questions that you tend to ask the most? And specifically, I mean, what are the questions you tend to ask to God in prayer? Or maybe sometimes you just shout them out loud to the universe, so to speak. But really, we're we're asking the Lord. I want you to think about that. Psalm 131, we're not 100% sure of exactly when it was written. I think it's most likely that it was written when... Uh, David was on the run from King Saul when he was being persecuted. But even if it wasn't written then, it was almost certainly written in light of the principles that he learned then. Okay, so it's very uh, short. If you're interested in memorizing a psalm, this would be a great one. Um, You can do it, all right? Um, Psalm 131, starting verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters, or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rest against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Okay, so uh, just three points from this psalm, and the first one would be humble. I mean, mean, basically, in verse 1, David starts out saying, I'm humble, I'm not proud. Now, at first, that can kind of strike us as that's a really weird way to pray. I mean, that is not the way that we have learned to pray as good Presbyterians, to show up and start out by telling God, look at me how humble I am. But think about what he is saying. I mean, really what he's saying is, God, there are things in life that are above my pay grade. And I'm content to wait and not know the answers to those questions. Again, we have to try to put ourselves in David's shoes. David had been anointed to be the king over God's people. This is basically the church in the Old Testament as a teenager. And then he had to wait 13 to 14 years before it came to be a reality. And probably for almost 10 of those years, he was treated like a criminal on the run from King Saul. Now, just again, put yourself in David's shoes and that hard season that he was going through. I've been anointed to be the king of Israel. And yet, I'm on the run. I'm being persecuted. I'm being treated like some common criminal. I'm going to be executed. That's what I feel is coming down every single day. What would be the questions that you would most often be asking to God in your heart if you were in that season? Looking for an out loud response from anyone. Okay, how long? How long is this going to take? Right? You ever been through something? You ever had a personal sickness? Hey, I mean, I, I had a, a tooth issue just a few months ago. And one of the main things I was like, hey, how much longer have I got to have pain every time I eat or drink something? How long? When? When will this be over? Okay, that's one of the most common questions that we ask in the middle of hardship. And then what might be another question that we ask in almost all the hardships we go through? Why? Why is this happening to me? Now, there's more, but, but I think those are the two. Okay, Why is this happening to me? And when will it be over? 
And let, let me, what's really underneath the why, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, is a deep sense of entitlement, is it not? I was talking to a good friend recently, and I was actually talking to him about this trial I had in my tooth, right? In the grand scheme of things, it's so small, it's not worth mentioning. But I was talking about going through this and just how much it really frustrated me, and I was angry at the dentist and everybody. And and a good friend said, "Why, why do you think it bothers you so much? And I thought about it for a second, I said... I know what I'm about to say is totally wrong, right? I mean, I know, I know in my mind what I'm about to say is insane. I said, but in the basement of my heart somewhere, I feel entitled. I feel like I'm a pretty good person and I deserve a pretty good life. That's what I feel, even though I know that's anti-gospel, right? Why is this happening to me and when's it going to be over? Now, I love what David is saying here. He's saying, hey, God, there are some things in life that are above my pay grade. Again, try to put yourself in David's shoes. He was a prophet, right? He's writing scripture. He's going to be the king over God's people. Nobody living on planet Earth was greater than David in that day. Maybe you could make an argument Samuel was, because Samuel was the one that anointed him. But Samuel died at some point during this whole trial. He's basically the number one guy on planet earth. And what's he humble enough to admit? There's somebody above me. I might be the human king over God's church, but there's a divine king. And the secret things belong to the Lord. And some things don't belong to me. I don't have a right to know. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 29 says. Now, um, he had to wrestle with this. Keep your finger in Psalm 131 and just for a second flip back to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, I want you to see this with your own eyes. 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26. We're only going to read one verse. This is another time where Saul is passed out asleep basically in front of David. He has a great opportunity to kill him. All his men are saying, kill him now. I'll kill him for you. You don't even have to get your hands dirty. I love you so much, David. I'll get my hands dirty in his blood for you. And David won't let him. And look at what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 10. David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. Okay, you see what David's doing? He's saying, guys, I promise you all, I'm wrestling with this thing in my mind. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I'm trying to figure out what God's doing. And I believe that one day, God's going to fix this problem. How's he going to do it? I don't know. Maybe he's going to get sick and die. Maybe the Philistines are going to kill him. I don't know. But what I do know is, I'm not taking matters into my own hands and sinning. So here's the first point, guys. It's not wrong when you're suffering, when you're going through hardship. It's not wrong to ask why. It's not wrong to ask, when will this be over? How long is it going to last? It's not wrong to want to know the answers. Here's where you get into sin, is if you demand to know the answers. If you feel entitled to know. If you have a deserving spirit. Most of the desires we have as Christian people are not sinful in and of themselves. It's when the desires turn into a demand that there's a problem. Does that make sense? Isn't that the way it is with our kids? Hey, mom and dad, you know, I'd really like to have this new pair of shoes, whatever. You know, can I have the pair of shoes? Yes, maybe. 
I don't know. I got to talk to your mom. Okay? Well, when can you, can you call her right now? When are you going to talk to her? Buddy, I don't know. I got other stuff going on in my life right now than you figuring out when you're going to get the new pair of Nikes. Well, Dad, I feel like I have a right to know. I, I don't care what you feel like you have a right to. This may or may not be based off a real conversation. Okay? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the kid coming up and saying, Dad, I'd like to have a new pair of Nikes. Right? I mean, the New Testament is filled with com- uh, invitations and commands. Ask whatever you wish. Is it not? God's a good father. Loves to give good gifts to his children. It's not wrong to want to know. It's not wrong, uh, wrong to ask to know. But i got to do it in a spirit like David. that says, hey, David... I mean, excuse me. Hey, Yahweh, I'm the kid in this relationship. So I've got some desires. I've got some questions. I've got some struggles. I've got some things I'm curious about. But if you're not ready to let me know, I trust you. How we get into sin is when we demand an answer, when we feel entitled, and and then we refuse to be content when the answers don't come. Okay. do you remember in the New Testament, let's just flip over there for the fun of it, uh, keep your finger in Psalm 131 again, Philippians chapter 4. This is a passage that probably many of us do have memorized. Philippians chapter 4. This is Paul. Right, if, if kind of the best sinful hero we have in the Old Testament is David, certainly the best sinful hero we have in the New Testament is Paul. And look at what he says, Philippians 4, starting verse 11. Not that I speak from want, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Side note, I think that prosperity is a greater temptation and struggle and danger for saints than persecution is. We we pray for the poor believers in Sudan and North Korea being persecuted. I hope they're praying for us. Our soul's in a lot more danger than they are a lot of times because we're tested with so much prosperity. We get drunk on it and abuse the heck out of it. Verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned. <laughs> underline that word, maybe that's a good one. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and of suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's saying, listen, guys, this is a secret, and, and it doesn't come naturally. You have to learn it, to be content in whatever circumstances you're in. Okay. Uh, do you remember the, the famous poem? Okay, Even if you're not into poetry, you probably heard The Charge of the Light Brigade, and it's about a group of soldiers that kept getting thrown into combat even though they're just getting massacred, and there's this famous line, theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. And there, there, you say, well, that's, that sounds sicko. Well, but if you can trust the commanding officer, it's not sicko. And if I trust the heart of Father God, there is a right sense. I want to know. I'm asking to know, but if you don't tell me, I'll keep being faithful, although it feels like you're killing me in the process. Although it feels like you're hanging me out the drive. Guys, I think we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, and part of the original sin was this entitlement. See, part of Satan's appeal was, hey, guys... There's this secret tree over here. It gives you some kind of secret knowledge. I mean, it's even called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's got that secret knowledge. There's even implication like the serpent's like, I've got that secret knowledge. I know it is. You guys don't. Y'all are left out. And then they had FOMO. And they're like, 
we got to have it. We're entitled to have it. Who cares what God said? We'll take it. And that kind of attitude lingers in our heart. I mean, how well do we do dealing with hardship? How well do we do being content, being faithful, even when we're not getting the answers to our prayers? So the first point, David's humble. The second point, David's happy. Okay? Look at verse 2. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. So that's a parallel in some sense to Paul saying, I've learned. I've learned the secret. This didn't come naturally. I didn't pop out of my mom's womb knowing how to be content. Did any of your children? Right? Are you there now? I mean, could any one of us 100% write Psalm 131 or Philippians 4 with 100% sincerity? I'm not, not me. I've, I've learned the secret of being content, whatever circumstances. You know where Paul was writing the letter to the Philippians from? A prison, right? He, right? It's easy to write that when you're at 30A on spring break, right? I have learned the secret of being content. Whether the sun comes out or it hides behind the clouds. Paul says, I'm in prison. Do you, do you remember Philippians chapter 1? What falls, the, the question that Paul had? Am I going to die or am I going to get back out and get to preach more? And he's like, I don't know. I kind of like to die and go to heaven, but I know I probably need to stay around and preach. I mean, that's what he was wrestling with. Am I going to get my head chopped off tomorrow? And he's like, I'm content either way. It's supernatural. It doesn't come natural. You have to learn it. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Okay. Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. We won't flip there. I think we, most of us know it. It's where the psalmist, it's not David, is speaking to his soul. Why art thou downcast within me, O my soul? You'll hope in God again. He's giving his own soul a pep talk. Don't be down. Don't be worried. Don't be fearful. Don't be discontent. Don't feel entitled. And Martin Lloyd-Jones has this famous sermon on that where he says, maybe the greatest problem of Christians is that we spend too much time listening to ourselves our sinful selves, and not enough time talking to ourselves. And he said, you literally, it's like you have to take yourself by the scruff of the neck. Do you ever have to do that with your kids? Okay? Right? They're not paying attention. Probably not with your daughters, but certainly with your teenage boys sometimes, right? Like, listen to me. Look me in the eyes. Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying, sometimes you have to do that with your own soul. Listen, soul. And you preach truth to your soul until you start to believe. Until you start to feel it. Okay. All of us at some point have seen a, an infant that's in the nursing stage, correct? All right? And when the baby's hungry and it's crying and mom picks it up, I mean, instantly the little baby's head is bobbing around looking for food. It is not patient. Right? It is the very definition of impatience. It's like demanding spirit incarnate. St. Augustine said... If the infant had enough strength, it would reach up and strangle its mother and demand to be fed. And you can almost hear that coming out in the cry, can you not? I don't care how cute they look. Whoever first said vipers and diapers, there's something to that. Okay? But, but think about a weaned child. And back then, sometimes the weaning process would go on for years. But here's the point. Before a child is weaned, 
it almost can't be with mom and just enjoy mom as a person. Mom is primarily a means to an end, to feed me, and to feed me my way right away. But a weaned child has been through a process where mom doesn't feed on demand all the time. And sometimes when mom feeds me, she doesn't give me the milk that I like and I'm used to. She starts to give me the lumpy Gerber baby food or whatever it is. It's not fun. It's painful. It's awkward. But through that process, the child learns. And again, this is subconscious for a child. But somewhere in the basement of that little three-year-old's mind is, is a thought process like this. I've been alive for three years now. I've never missed a meal. I haven't always had the exact meal that I wanted. I haven't always had the meal exactly on time, but mom has always fed me. There's more peace, there's more comfort, there's more calm spirit. So mom can pick up the little baby, and there's a real sense in which the little baby, the child, can enjoy just the presence of mom and not just think of mom as a milk wagon. You understand what I'm saying? So look into your own heart for just a second. How much can we just be with the Lord and just enjoy the Lord and not primarily think about God like a cosmic Coke machine in the sky that's supposed to give me stuff when I ask for it? I've lived a good life, God. I haven't done any big, bad, overt sins that I know in the last week or maybe even a month. I've been praying really hard. I've been to church every week, even Sunday school Wednesday night, and I went to Sunday night church once just for extra credit. Can you not please answer this prayer? We probably don't say those words out loud, but we feel them in our heart, do we not? This sense of entitlement. Okay. Um, our, Our genuine faith, guys, it gets exposed in hardship. I just heard a quote by Tim Keller, and it's one of those quotes like, I'm not 100% true, 100% true, but there's a lot of truth in it. Here was a quote. Nobody can just tell you your sin and then you just fully see it. You have to be shown your sin, and the best way that you get shown your sin is through hardship. Right? I mean, in some sense, when everything's going wonderful, it's fairly easy to outwardly obey. But when the pressure comes, the cracks show, and what's really in our heart starts to show. Um, some of y'all have probably seen this exercise for a second, but for just a second, just hold out your hand and try to you know, look at your hand and hold it as flat as you can, like perpendicular to the floor. All right, now, just relax your hand. Just, you see what naturally happens to your hand? It's like it starts to clench in. This is a metaphor for the human heart. God gives us gifts, things in life, like our children, maybe. You know? Most of the time we think of them as a gift. We like them, okay? And if we're supposed to stay open-handed. I'm not going to be addicted to your gifts, God. I'm going to enjoy them, but I'm not going to be addicted to your gifts. But if we're not consciously preaching truth to ourselves, meditating on Scripture, praying, keeping our heart humble, what's going to happen is our heart starts to kind of clench in. You understand what I'm saying? I was talking to a friend recently about an idol, okay? the thing in our life that we tend to uh, worship the most or find the most joy from other than God. And this person said, I feel like... When a person's in the flesh, let's just say the Bible represents their life. Let's say this could be your career. This could be your finances. This could be your reputation. This could be how good your marriage is going. Whatever. It's different for different people. 
When we're in the flesh, it's like, God, i got to have this. i got to have this. Please keep this in check. Please let this be good. And then it's like we start to get sanctified a little bit, and we barely let our hands off of it, just a little bit. you know. But it's like if one little bad thing happens, we're ready to clinch again. And what does that show? It shows that at some level we're really not trusting in the goodness, the character, the word, the promises of God. We're trusting much more in, I want your gifts, God. I want your stuff. I want to be blessed. And what David is saying is it took him a while, but that's what got him to a place where he could say, I trust you. Okay. An unweaned child is easily disturbed by hunger. Right? It's peace and confidence can be shaken very easy when hardship comes. It's fragile. But a weaned child is more mature. And just evaluate yourself, guys. This, this was a good question for me to meditate on as I was thinking about this. Let's say you wake up one morning and you have a great time along with the Lord. You read the Bible. Maybe even sing a little song. You're worshiping. You feel right with Jesus. You feel close you feel trusting. I mean, it's just wonderful. What has to happen in that day to knock you off course? What has to happen in that day to make your confidence in Christ kind of topple? You understand the question? For some of us, for me in certain seasons of my life, all it has to be is five minutes of bad traffic. <laughs> right? What in the world? There's no Praise God, I think I've matured past that. Maybe not much, but, you know, I can handle traffic now. But how about just a little fight with your spouse? And listen, I'm not talking about the yelling, screaming, punching hole in the wall kind of fight. I'm talking about the fight when you're coming home, you're in a great mood, and you're coming home like, happy to see my spouse, looking forward to talking, just great mood. And you call, you know, kind of, and it's like a helpful call. Hey, I'm on the way home, almost there. Anything I can do or pick up? And you just kind of get a negative response. And it's like, wait a second. I'm in a good mood. I'm coming home early. I'm trying to have a servant's attitude. I'm trying to call, and I got a negative response. Something that small sometimes can just knock us off of our contentment. And what that exposes to us is our contentment is really not founded enough in Christ and His Word, and His promises, and His character, it's too founded on the gifts. And when the gifts get shaken, we get rattled. So, David is maturing past that. He's humble, he's happy, and then third, he's hopeful. Okay? Look at the third verse again. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Now, in English, when we use the word hope, we primarily mean wish, right? Our kids say things like, Daddy, I really hope it's going to snow at Christmas. And that's fine. That's not sinful to use it that way. That's the way we use it. I mean, it's a wish. When the biblical writers use the word hope, they don't mean wish. They mean confidence. Done deal. Locked in. What's your hope is, what's your confidence? What's your foundation? What are you sure of? And David is saying, I'm hopeful, I'm confident. And so I'm looking at all the nation of Israel, all the professing believers and saying, you should be hopeful. Again, notice, it's not hopeful in his gifts, it's hopeful in the Lord. And hopeful at all times. Um, again, 
I think this lesson will be the most helpful if you can think about the time in your life when you struggle the most. And especially if it's in the past. Because when you're in the middle of it, it's so hard to see. <clears throat> Listen, it, it almost doesn't matter how pristine your theology is in your mind. If it hasn't sunk down to the basement of your soul, you're going to respond out of more of your guttural, visceral feelings than you are all of your right thinking. Right? You hear about... Uh, law enforcement officers and soldiers, and they, they train over and over and over and over again. The same, uh, Wesley Anderson, a lot of y'all know him, was, was on staff here for a while. He, he'd been in the Special Forces. I mean, he served in combat, and um, I got him to take me and my kids out a couple times shooting, and he would talk about the things they did in Green Beret training. He said, we did the exact same drills and just putting the gun up, shooting the target, hundreds if not that, until we had calluses on our fingers. Why do they just do the same old basic stuff so that when you're in the midst of chaos, it's just muscle memory? You don't have time, but you just respond out of what you do, right? The problem is for most of us, we have lived in prosperous America for so long. And we, we had great teaching. I mean, we, we are overwhelmed with great teaching. We got it coming out of our ears, out of our radio, out of our podcast, out of everywhere, right? But a lot of times we haven't suffered enough and so when the suffering comes, we're still kind of shocked. And we go back to our visceral heart responses more than all the teaching we know. So, part of why I'm saying this, guys, and I promise, I, I, if nobody, I'm preaching to myself today, I promise. Don't pray for suffering. Don't ask for suffering. Don't go out and look to be a martyr. But when the suffering comes, welcome it. Because it's a messenger sent by a good father to teach us, to train us, to prepare us, to conform us to the image of Christ. To help us take our theology from just being head knowledge to make it heart knowledge to make experiential knowledge. Okay. So look back on the past suffering you went through and just, just be honest with yourself. Did you respond more like David in Psalm 131? Did you respond more like Paul in Philippians chapter 4? Or did you respond more like a petulant, demanding child? And then pray, hey God, I don't want suffering. If there's any way to get sanctified without suffering, that's the course I'd like to sign up, Father. And I'll pay extra money for it if I have to. But if the only way to get sanctified, if the only way to get intimate with you, if the only way to become a weaned child who's learned to be content in all circumstances is suffering, then Father, so be it. In the right time, the right way, bring it. And just please give me enough grace to be sustained through it. Because I don't think I got it on my own. I'm fearful of how I might respond. So as I was looking at this, uh, one commentator mentioned a great example, Isaac. You know, the Abraham and Isaac story, there's actually a movie out about it right now okay, that I haven't seen. But most commentators agree. We don't know exactly how old Isaac was when this happened, but the best estimates are somewhere between a teenage boy and a 25-year-old grown man. Almost certainly he was not a little kid that you could just let. Here's the point. Remember, Abraham is plus 100 at this point. 
point is, if Isaac wanted to get out of it, he could have. No, we primarily look at the faith of Abraham in that story, and we should, because that's what the biblical director, you know, points at. But Isaac had to have some kind of faith. Right? He asked the question, Father, where's the lamb? And he didn't really get out. Don't you love these kind of answers? Well, the Lord will provide the lamb for himself. I mean, I can just imagine me in it. Thanks, Dad. You just gave me a non-answer. Right? But not really. He answered the deeper question. Isaac had to be willing to say, Dad, if this is what the Lord told you, I don't like it, I don't understand it, but okay, I'll lay down in the wood. And praise the Lord, right before the knife came, the angel spoke and said, Spare the boy. Now, there's one example that's greater that we do know for sure. It's a 33-year-old grown man. And the Lord Jesus comes. This is still, at some level, guys, I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's baffling to me. I think you almost have to be careful about how you talk about it because if you, you go too much to the left or right, you'll say something blasphemous. Jesus, fully God, fully man, as the second person of the Trinity, he had helped plan the cross. He knows what's coming. And yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he looks over the abyss into the cup of wrath he's about to drink, he says, Father, surely there's got to be another way. He's praying out of his visceral heart. He didn't sin. It's not sin to ask the question. It's not sin to say, why is this happening to me? It's not sin to say, how long is it going to last? It's sin when you demand the answer, and it's sin when you, when you refuse to go that way. So you don't always have to say this phrase in your prayers, but we need to always have it. It's kind of like a substructure in all our prayers. Not my will, but thine. If there's any way out of this suffering, Father, I'd like it, and I'd like it yesterday. But if you ordain that it's best for me to stay, I trust your character, I trust your wisdom, I trust your heart. And the main reason I trust your character and your heart is because you proved it to me at the cross. Because the Lord Jesus went to the cross, lost the sense of a good father. Couldn't even call him father. Just, but he still had enough faith to say, I know you're my God, I know you're my God. But why have you left me here all alone? Why? Why is this happening to me? Even though he knew the right answers, guys. Part of the way that you get this more mature faith is you don't try to pretend and act like you have it when you don't really have it. You understand what I mean by that? Most of us are so good at putting our best foot forward. A little bit of hardship comes, we're like, praise the Lord, no big deal, I got this. And it's kind of like, hey, God is able to humble the proud. You keep putting your best foot forward, he'll break that foot for you. The, the best way to get mature is to get to a place where we can say, hey, God, I am struggling. I am quaking. I am being overwhelmed. And I think that's so much what we see in David's prayers in the Psalms as he went through hardship. That's why he became. That's how he got weaned. That's how he became such a mature man. And more importantly, that was even how the Lord Jesus in his humanity was able to endure the cross for us. So look to Christ as our ultimate model. But so much more, look to him as our substitute. 
Look to him as the sacrifice, as the Savior, so that even when you're blowing it and you're like, my faith is weak, I'm not content, I'm not weaned, I'm struggling, but I'm not there yet, Lord. There can be contentment even in that. I don't have to be there perfectly because he already went there perfectly for me, and that's what I ultimately rest in. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for myself. I pray for everybody listening. Please help us trust more and more in your heart, in your character, in your word, in your wisdom, in your ways, and less and less in your immediate obvious gifts. Please make us more and more open-handed with your gifts so that when you take them away, we're not distraught, we're not desperate, we're not despondent, we're not even disturbed. There can just be a, a humble, happy, hopeful attitude. Would you please grow this all in all of us for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.